Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You listen to the Ask Brian Radio Show on KTS 1220 in 98.1 FM. All right, we've got a great show today. And for people who have never, ever, ever listened to the Ask Brian Radio Show, well, you're going to learn something today. We have a very good guest. You're going to learn some information. But before we get into that, people always ask the question who have not listened to this show, and I know there are a few of you, uh, so this might be your first time. We always ask the question, is Ask Brian spelled I-A-N, Y-A-N, or E-N? Well, it's spelled B-R-I-E-N, and it's not because we're Irish. We're not the O'Briens. We don't order a pub, although we might buy a pub. That would be a very good business profit center for us. But we do have the word letter E and Brian, and everybody wants to know why. And we have a very, very special, special person today. Yeah, he's special. I'll tell you why later on. And he's going to tell us why we have an E, and his name is Patrick, and... Patrick, can you please explain to the audience why in the world Brian is spelled with an E? Well, there's a number of reasons why Brian is spelled with an E. Well, the E stands for like a number of themes that go with the S. Brian show. One of them was empathy. And What is that? It's when you put yourself in someone else's shoes. Yeah, but we already talked about that. You like wear size 14, I wear size 8, so there's no way that's ever going to happen. Go ahead. <laughs> but then you know that you can't, so it's like, all right, at least you try. I'd be like a, cl- I'd be like a clown shoe for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, outside of that, there is uh, excellence, because everybody in the Ask Brian show exudes nothing but excellence. Others we have are experts, because everybody that we bring on to the Ask Brian show happens to be an expert in their field or business. Others we have. Education, I think, is one of the newer ones we brought in, because everyone... And the most important, is we like to educate our listeners so that they can learn something. That's our goal. Indeed, indeed. Yes. And then there's one of... Before I get to the other two, another E is engineer, because, you know, you can't run the show without the engineers... Which would and be, that's why we have Emily, because Emily starts with an E, and that's why you were replaced. Oh, sorry. Didn't want anyone to know, but okay. I said engineers plural, so there's me and oh. Emily. <laughs> but, I mean, whatever helps you sleep at night, sure. Let's go with that. Uh, I, I uh, sleep everywhere. <laughs> apparently. Suddenly <laughs> red on a bathroom wall. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the final two are... That was confidential, Tracy. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it was public visibility. <laughs> uh, the, the, the final two are uh, enthusiasm and... Excitement! Woo! Yeah, and also, a mini, and also the mini other, uh, the last one is also Emily, because she starts with an E2 and she's the engineer. We already went over that. We said two E's. Right? I know, but I'm, give, I'm, I'm, I'm giving props to it. Come on. Well, you're very, very... Uh... But prompts, it took you like five minutes to get into the conversation. I don't know. You're throwing me off today. Oh. You threw me off today. Well, that starts with an O, not an E. I think it starts with a T. Throw. Throw off. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Right. It's just going downhill. <laughs> well, okay, Mr. O'Brien, of the Irish Patrick O'Brien. Um, thank you very much. 
I appreciate your time. I know you've got a busy schedule, so we appreciate you coming on and doing this little shtick for us. So, without any further ado, how do you spell do, Patrick? A-D-I-E-U. Why don't I like the word? <laughs> because every single letter minus the D is a vowel. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Bad for, the, uh, for the train seal, we have some fish. So, go, and I'll send, throw you some fish. But we are beginning our amazing interview. We have a great guest today. Russell, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? Yeah, I just want to make sure you didn't say, okay, what did I get myself into? I'm out of here. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> you might be saying that anyway. But for the next uh, 45 minutes or so, we've got a great interview. Russell, what is the name of your company that you currently work with? I am currently working with a business called The Marketing Plan Formula. And before we get into that, that company, what businesses have you been involved with prior to that? Oh, my gosh. So I, uh, my dad raised me to be an entrepreneur. So I was that kid in seventh grade who was trying to sell candy out of my backpack. And from there, I have a long and somewhat insane history of starting businesses. So I've started well over 20 businesses, and I've been lucky enough to have a few of them. Uh, be very successful, and even more so, I've been very proud to work with well over a couple hundred businesses in the last five or six years all around their marketing. Yeah, I'm just, I feel really lucky to have this unique experience of not only my own businesses, but working with other entrepreneurs in their businesses. So I've seen behind the curtains of lots and lots of different structures. So are you like the Wizard and the Wizard of Oz? Boy, sometimes <laughs> I think so. <laughs> <laughs> So the current company you have is Marketing Plan Formula. When did that company start? And give us a little background about what that company is all about. Sure. So it was about two and a half years ago, right before this COVID thing hit. And I was actually working with a group of entrepreneurs at the time and doing your, have you ever had one of those whiteboard epiphanies where you're working on the whiteboard and you're like, oh my gosh, how come I've never seen this before? And I was working with these seven business owners, and all of a sudden it dawned on me, this is solution to one of the most significant problems that I've seen out there. And that was my little whiteboard epiphany. And it was basically a process by which you can reverse engineer a business and create a marketing blueprint that the owner, founder, CEO, whomever, can use to make decisions on, hey, should we be doing this marketing or should we be doing that marketing? Or we have very limited resources. How do we deploy those resources optimally to get the biggest bang for the buck? So first explain what you mean by reverse engineer a marketing formula and how, how, what process to do that. Yeah, so if you think about marketing in the world today, for example, I'm a small business owner. I've got a little B2B consulting business where I help companies with their CRM installations or something, for example, I probably have very limited resources, money, time, and energy with which to deploy to get new customers because at the end of the day, that's what marketing is. It's just the function of getting new customers. And so I need to make decisions on what should I do with that. But in today's world, every time we turn around, there's some new marketing opportunity. There's all these digital platforms, networks, Instagrams, Facebook, TikToks, YouTubes, you name it. They're all over the place, as well as offline. You know, there's, there's bench advertising, trade shows, brochures, direct mail, you name it. There's, we're really 
limitless opportunities to spread the word about a business. But what was missing is the function of what I call a marketing architect or the blueprint that tells you what marketing you should be doing and should not be doing. And that's born out of a unique business. It's not something you find outside the business. So that's why we use the term reverse engineering the business. So are you looking at other companies that have been successful to try to figure out what they did? Is that what you mean by reverse engineering or, or I'm off target? Yeah, no, no, you're exactly right. So what we'll typically do is we work with a client and, well, let me, let me put it this way. If I were to ask you kind of what's, what is marketing in its simplest form? The, the building blocks or the periodic table of marketing, what, what would the elements of that table look like? I don't know. Uh, I mean, for me, when I started out my career, it was word of mouth, right? It was easy. You know, I told my friends and everyone I knew that I had started a business and tried it that way. That was the simplest and most cost-effective, right? And there yeah. are other different methods as you go, as you get more money together, you can try more things and test, test, test to see if it works because some things may work for me, not for you, or for another company. So, I mean, those are the types of, those, those, that, that's the important way I would have. That's the way I, I, I always started. That doesn't mean I'm right. That was just how my business works. <laughs> well, that's, that's the typical path in most small businesses is word of mouth and referral. But I'm talking even, even more at its, at its basis level. Marketing is simply just showing the right message to the right person at the right time and place. That makes sense. Like it doesn't get any simpler than that. Well, it, it doesn't get any simple, but that can be pretty complex. Even what you said, if you take it down and drill it down to everything, because you know what is the right time, what is the right thing, you know, method, what is the right. Th- th- you can have ten thousand questions from each one, but yeah, I I, I do agree exactly. that, that is the simple. Yeah. Right. So what we do is we say, okay, this process of reverse engineering, and if I'm a business owner. Again, it's all predicated on this idea that you have limited resources. So if I'm the business owner and I'm trying to solve this equation for the right message to the right person at the right time and place, the first thing I need to realize is that the right message and the right time and place, those are both dependent on the right person. Does that make sense? Yes. If I'm selling a B2B product, and let's say it's a tech product, like we, we used our example earlier, I may initially be selling to someone in, a, in the tech department, but eventually I'm going to be selling to the person who's above the tech department who's running the budget, say like the COO or somebody or CTO. And so my messaging to the tech department is going to be really different than the messaging to the CTO or the, the C-level staff. Does that make sense? Well, and not only that, but when you get to, if you get to the CFO part where you're talking about it, then you have to show the value and the cost effectiveness, right? Otherwise, Precisely. people aren't going to spend the money. Right. So given that the right person is the first piece of the puzzle that we need to solve, when we, the place each business owner should do is go to their previous sales. Even if you've built your business by word of mouth only, you want to get into your, take your last 12-month sales, and you want to print out all your customers. If you're B to, like if you have a high transaction volume, like an e-commerce store or something like that, it's a little different process. You're going to be dealing with products individually. But if you're just to say a small B2B type business, you're going to list those out, and you're going to find, have you ever heard of this thing called the Pareto Principle? 
otherwise known as the 80-20 rule. And yeah, for anyone that's that ever done, yeah, yeah. right. So, and, and everyone kind of has this gut intuition if they run or own a business. And it's true in all facets of life, not just business, but it's true that typically in almost every business, 80% of the profits are going to be driven by 20% of the customers, right? Correct. Correct. And so, and now it may be, you know, 85 or 90, 10 or 70, 30. The numbers aren't the, the important part. The important part is that the majority of your profits come from a few customers. So if I'm a, if I'm a business owner and I'm looking to deploy my, mar- my precious resources, my precious dollars into marketing, my first thing I want to do is I want to make sure that I'm marketing to those customers that make me the most money, the most profitable customers. Make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. My question, though, is if, you've got, if you're getting 80% of your profits from the 20% of the people, then why not just concentrate on those 20% and not do any more marketing, just keep on working with them and trying to upsell them only? Well, you might, you might, that's true. That's extending the lifetime value of a customer, but at some point you might want to go get new customers. And so when it's, that's the job of marketing is going and getting new customers. But the point of this is, in that equation of the right message to the right person in the right time and place, we're going to define the right person as that most profitable customer in your business. And that's different for every single business out there and every different product. Makes sense. All right. Because then all you have to do is, once you've identified that most profitable customer, then you just do the research and say, all right, we solve a problem. What is the problem we solve? And you have basically interview those customers or do some sort of surveys or market research, find out what is the problem they want to solve, and there is your right message. You get the copy, you get the headline, you get everything you need to develop that right message. Now you have two pieces of the equation solved. The final one is what marketing strategies are you going to deliver that message to that person? And again, that's born out of the research where you simply just ask your customers, hey, when you think of this problem that you're trying to solve, where is it that you go to find answers to solve that problem? And, and when they tell you... Have, yeah, I mean, you have to have an engaged client base as well, right? Some people say, I'm so busy, I don't have time for this. You know, uh, that can be a problem too, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. But it's, it's I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, of course, we've worked out the process to make this as easy as possible, but It's also one of those things where it's kind of like if you don't do it, you're going to, what's the other side of that coin is you're just guessing at your marketing. You're guessing at what message to say to who and where. And that's where we see, you know, the most common story out there is, unfortunately, a business owner, they don't know marketing, so they go hire a marketing agency. And because they don't have this blueprint type information done prior to the hiring the agency, Typically, those engagements end in disappointment and or failure. Well, that, that, that's just matching expectations. That, that could be with a marketing agency, could be a website developer, could even be with your doctor or lawyer because, you know, if you don't have the expectations set up up front, then uh, it's hard to know whether or not uh, they've been met. Very true. I like the analogy of building a house that kind of describes this problem. It's, if you have a vision to build a house, you wouldn't just go hire a general contractor and hand them a bunch of money and say, here, here's the money, go build my house, 
right? Like what are the chances they're actually going to build the house that I'm thinking of the right bedrooms, the right materials, the right style, layout, everything. Correct. It's much more than just expectations, at least in terms of marketing, because I, my expect, if I'm hiring a marketing agency, you know, my expectation is qualified lead, but they need more than that from me as the business owner in order to be successful. They need to know what kind of customers, what messaging to those customers. They can help develop all this stuff. But at the end of the day, I need to have the blueprint that shows the GC what house I want to build so that they can go and hire all the subcontractors and get the right materials and do everything they need to build the house. Now, do you, do you have an agency or do you do it all in-house? So we have a kind of a unique function in the marketplace. We do not actually do the – we're not doing any of the building of the house. We're more like marketing architects. I'm trying to coin this word called marketech. We help business owners with the blueprint for how to build their house, how to build their business. And then we help them if they need, say, a Facebook ads person for e-commerce. We have a very deep Rolodex where we just say, hey, go talk to, in this case, it would be Depeche. He's the best in the world, uh, e-commerce Facebook ads. Or whatever the marketing strategy and channel is, we can typically just refer that out. All right. Trace, so why don't you, uh, you have some questions for Russell? Yes. So, without further ado, as you were saying, so Russell, I'm very just like fascinated by this whole idea of the single sheet marketing plan. And what I'd like to start with first, and hopefully our audience has pulled it all up, and if they're not driving and can look at it, but if not, when the podcast comes out, the link will be in the show notes summary. But uh, when you're looking at this single sheet marketing plan first. Tell me exactly what it's designed to do, and is it for, like, for me, the business owner? Who's filling this out, and what is it designed to do? Yeah, so this is something I feel like it took me 30 years to develop, and to get it refined down to one sheet was quite a challenge. And it's meant to, it's meant to work with either the marketer or the business owner and kind of illustrate what we were talking about, that right message to the right person at the right time and place, and then help you prioritize those, and then you kind of wrap everything up with the metrics and measuring the results. That's kind of a big piece that's often missed as well, is the final step is in understanding the KPIs that make marketing work. But this worksheet is meant to really challenge you. If you can sit down and you own a business, and you can fill this worksheet out without guessing. Like if you can use objective data to fill in the blanks, in my experience that every business owner that can do that has the most successful marketing, the highest return on investments, and they're meeting or beating their sales KPIs. And if you can't, and it's meant to be a challenge, <laughs> um, if you can't fill this it's in. It's meant to be a test, basically, right? Or, or you yeah. When we were on the break, it's like it's meant to be a test. And what do you mean by that when you say it's a challenge or a test? Like, explain that further. Well, it's one of those things where, for instance, in step number, let's take step number six, you know, which is it says, my ideal customer is step number four, number five is who wants to solve, and step number six is they go where to find the solution. Well, that simple question is actually going to tell you what marketing strategies you should be doing and should not be doing. Okay, love that. 
So why don't we start back up at the top because some of our audience is like thinking about starting a business. Some of them are seasoned business owners and some of them are uh, maybe corporate executives who are, um, you know, still need to have marketing strategies within the, their business. So sure. when you're, when you're, so this, at the top of the sheet, because we're audio and not visual, you're having, first of all, the businesses selecting whether their target audience is a business-to-business target or a business-to-consumer target. Explain just super quickly for those who might be just brand new to this whole entrepreneurial journey, the difference between the B2B and the B2C. Sure. Typically, it's B2B would be a business that serves or sells products or services to another business. You know, if I, if I'm a bit, my business sells, uh, restaurant reservation software to restaurant owners. That's a business to a business. Versus C2C is Amazon. It's a company that has products and they sell direct to consumer. Great. Okay. So we've got this business owner, whether they're B2B or B2C is their end customer. We're starting out with the vision. And when you're, when you're asking a business owner to, or a marketing strategist to fill out the vision, what are you looking for in terms of how to define the vision for a company? Well, so this is born out of a, my own personal experience. Every business owner has, you know, heard that they need to do a vision and a mission and have their values clear. Now, again, what most business owners or most visions and missions I've seen are kind of these nice, catchy, marketing-driven phrases or words that sound or look good on a poster, but they don't do a whole lot for the business. What my experience has shown that, especially when it comes to marketing, you have to be really, really clear on your mission and vision and values because that is basically the target that you're aiming, the company you want to build, again, it's that picture in your head of your dream home that you want to build. And really the function of marketing is just to make sure that we build that home and not a different home. I started a business in 2013, a supplement business, where when, when we launched the business, it was a product that was for entrepreneurs, athletes, go-getters, and it was a brain product to help them get that extra edge in life. And what happened is, is after about two, three years of working in this business, you know, we were chasing the money, trying to pay the bills, doing what all business owners do. And one day we looked up and we realized, uh-oh, we don't, we no longer sell to these go-getters, entrepreneurs, people looking for the cutting edge. We had built a business that was selling memory improvement supplements to baby boomers who were afraid of dementia and losing their cognitive ability. Well, it couldn't be further from, you know, the original starting point. And I realized this was a business that I, this was a house I didn't want to live in. And it actually ended, I left the business and it ended up, you know, costing me what's today a multi-million dollar business in seven, several years of my life. So it's, it's really relevant. It's really important. It's much more than just trade statements on paper and posters. So just highlighting that specific part of this in terms of, um, from a timing perspective, because I think what you're saying is really important to the overall entrepreneurial journey in that a lot of times when you start a business, it's not where the, it's not ultimately where the business ends up either thriving or the lane that it ends up growing into. So just because you figure out your marketing strategy at the onset of starting your business 
does not mean that you don't need to go back and do this exercise at multiple different times along the evolution of the business. But what kind of time frame would you recommend? Is it something people should do this once a year, once a quarter, once every five years? Like, what are you seeing in terms of success and staying on track with just that vision and value aspect? Annually. Um, and, and, and we're at the perfect time of year, right? We're all in, this is, we're still in January. Everyone's setting their resolutions and looking at last year going, all right, what, what worked? What didn't? What, what went well? What didn't? And so this is the perfect time of year to do this activity. And in my mind, so a vision is, it's a terrible analogy. I hate to use it, but everyone understands it. It's like we, we want to win the war. That's the vision. And then the missions are the individual literally missions to help you win the war. So we need to take this harbor and we need to control this airport or this hill, right? So when we complete these missions, we have a better chance of achieving the vision, which is winning the war. It's the same in business. You have a bigger vision and your individual missions are what make up that vision and help you complete it. And then the values in the business are really just the rules by which you play the game. Okay. So basically, when, when you're looking at this eight-step eight process, from a comprehensive perspective, you can bundle vision, values, and mission as maybe part one because those are the things yep. that are going to ultimately determine what steps four and, and five are, which is once you've had the vision, values, and missions established and really clarified and then updated on an annual basis, that, of course, affects your ideal customers. Again, to your point, when you started out, you were targeting entrepreneurs and executives and things like that, but ultimately you ended up, it sounds like, more going into like a senior um, demo, and that's not the direction that you anticipated the company to go in. So your ideal customer can just as easily shift without you maybe even having your finger on the pulse of that, and being able to know who you're marketing to is the key to knowing who to market to. <laughs> You you have no excite you have no idea how excited I am. You're you're one of the few people that's put that together. It's this idea of checks and balances. So yeah, when you if you're clear on your one two three vision mission and values, and then you go to number four and you say, all right, who's my ideal customer? And all of a sudden you're like, well, wait a minute, our ideal customer has nothing to do with our vision mission or values. Like they're totally different. So that's the first checks and balance that make sure your plan is working. And I, I'm serious. You're the first person that's ever put that piece of the puzzle together. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> well, well, thank you for that. Um, I, well, and then in doing that, so that ideal, because people, you know, they throw a lot of jargon around. What's your ideal customer? What's your, your avatar? What's your ICA? What's your, you know, and, but at the end of the day, I think it's interesting because Sometimes who you think your ideal customer is and who your ideal customer actually is does differentiate. So to me, mm -hmm. that's why step five is so important is because if you know what, if you're super clear on what problems that they want to solve, then you know how to speak to their pain points. So if you're solving a problem, that's connecting the dots back to who that customer is, but then it's also setting you up for success to know exactly where they're living, right? Like what, where, where they're yep. living on social media, where they're living on 
where they're gathering their information. And, and I love how you verbalize number six is, and, and where do they go to find solutions? So let's talk about just the movement of the process between four, five, and six, and what yep. thought processes you like the business owner to think through on those levels. So you're absolutely right. My goal is to remove the subjectivity of marketing and replace it with objective decision-making and data-driven. So when you say my ideal customer, you're right. There's a million and one different ways to go do your avatar development and all this stuff. And most of the time, you're just guessing. What I say, this is what I was alluding to earlier, is if you've been in business for any length of time and you have customers, so this isn't really applicable to a startup situation. You do have to guess at a startup situation. But if you've been in business for a year, the best thing to do is go back and look at your business and say, who is our best customer? Who did we make the most money off of? Who was the pleasure to work with? Who, who really valued the service that we provide? And let's go get more of those people. That's my ideal customer. Because we've all had the business where we have customers that maybe make us a lot, you know, we do a lot of volume with them, but we maybe don't make any money. Like it's a non-profitable customer or they're just a real pain in the butt to work with. We don't want more Which of Which is why people. they're not profitable because they eat up all your profits because they're such pains. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if, if you have the opportunity to say my ideal customer is, well, let's make it the most profitable, most valuable, most fun customer to work with, and let's make that decision based on previous sales, not guessing. So that's an interesting perspective. So what, what I'm hearing you say, and you said this at the beginning of the show as well, is connecting your revenue numbers and profiling your revenue numbers against your client base and then taking the next step to then creating your ideal customer based on the connecting of the dots between your revenue and your clients. But what you also just pointed out was that just because they're your highest revenue client doesn't mean that they're your highest profit margin client. And that's, I think, a piece that people really miss when they're even just doing forecasting. Yeah. Profits is not the same as revenue. Revenue is is a glory number, (laughs) but profit is what pays the bills. Yeah, you can, you can, I know of a business that did over $20 million in sales and their profit at the end of the year was about a hundred thousand. And you're, you, you, I was working with the business owner and he, his question was, why am I doing this? <laughs> you know, for a hundred thousand dollars. It's a lot of work for a hundred, he can go get his own marketing job somewhere else. Exactly. Exactly. So you do want to base everything in profit. Forget about the revenue. That's, it makes you feel good and it looks good on the bottom line, but at the end of the day, profits, how you pay your bills and the money that matters. And so tying that into, and I think this is really the mystery part of so many people's challenges right now with their marketing strategies. So you position the question in step six as, and goes where to find solutions, and you break it down to three destinations your ideal customer goes to find solutions. I love the way that's worded because there's so many people who just jump on the bandwagon of uh, everybody's on Instagram. I've got to be on Instagram. Everybody's got a mm-hmm, Twitter mm-hmm. account. I need a Twitter account. I mean, and owning a podcast production company, I can lovingly say, and everybody has a podcast, so now I need a podcast. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, but 
the way you're positioning it to really be the thought starter is not what you think, what platform the business owner thinks they should be marketing on, but where are their customers going to find solutions and then aligning with where those locations are. Yeah. Because, again, at the end of the day, you only have so much time, money, and effort to execute on these marketing strategies. And there's a concept that we use called the marketing iceberg. And it's, it's just that. It's you, every marketing strategy, from the simplest strategy to complex advertising methodologies, are like icebergs where, you know, you think it's pretty simple on the surface, but you look at, you get under the water, you get under the hood, and it's a giant, enormous, complex beast. A, a good example is I worked last year with, and I'll, I'll tie this up with two points on this one story. I worked last year with a restaurant owner who was, who was selling um, software to other restaurant owners. He had developed a reservation iPad app. And we had originally started talking because he wanted to do an SEO strategy. He was doing a blog and all this. And so he, we were talking about, well, what sort of content should he do and yada, yada, yada. And this is really common. Everyone starts with the blog post stuff. And my only question to him that goes to where do they go to find the solution? So I was like, how many restaurants do you own? And I think he owned six at the time. And I was like, so how much time do you spend ready, reading blog posts? And his answer was, I don't think I've ever read a blog post. It's like, exactly. Right. So we had, you guys have downloaded, if you're listening and you've downloaded the sheet, great. If not, definitely go and download it. So we were through step, step six, and that is leading us to the formula then to create where the top strategy is. So instead of, like you were saying, instead of, saying, well, I've got to write blog posts because I read a, I read, I uh, was told by my neighbor next door that blog posts are a great way to grow your business, but I've never even read a blog post. Instead of thinking of it through what everyone says is the place to be or the trendiest media, well, I've got to be on TikTok, but oh, by the way, I hate video, and my audience isn't even on TikTok. So with your approach of finding solutions, of finding where, the, where your customer's finding solutions, that's giving you your top strategy. Now, are you taking that strategy from the three destinations and just say, to keep it simple, like list the three destinations where your customers find solutions, and then you're saying pick one of those where maybe you're the most energetically drawn to to create content for and is the top destination choice for your clients and the one that's maybe the most on brand for you? Yeah, again, what we're trying to do is um, quit guessing and let the data or objective numbers tell us where to go. So um, what we're doing here is, for instance, last year we worked with a, an app company that sells a math app to parents, um, especially during the pandemic, who are homeschooling. Anyway, it's a great app to help kids learn a year of math in three months. And what we did is we did this research that, to, we asked them these three questions. Where do you go to solve these problems? And the answers we got told us specifically 29% of the parents go to YouTube to solve this problem. 17% use parent peer groups and neighborhood um, school associations. And then we also knew another 13% use private Facebook groups and homeschooling resources. So what, what we did there is we looked at, and when we got, did the research and got the responses, we knew we could literally set a budget based on it saying, hey, at least 29 cents of every dollar we spend had better go to YouTube. 
And now we could formulate a YouTube strategy specifically for this business. And so that's what that implies is once you go and find a common place where everyone, your ideal customers go to solve a problem, there's your top strategy. And then you go execute the best strategy you can find in that channel. And then if you, but if you're a business owner, how do you do that research? Do you engage in a firm like yourself? Yeah, that's exactly what, what we work with our clients on is helping them do this research. And that's why the difference between a B2B and a B2C company is important because if I'm, if I only do, if I'm a B2B company and I'm really only doing a handful of transactions every year, doing simple telephone interviews would suffice. If I'm a, if I'm an e-commerce company and I'm doing thousands of transactions every year, you can utilize online surveys and tools like that. So it kind of depends. Again, it's reverse engineered out of the business. It kind of depends on what business you have. That's a great answer. And then one last step before, um, because we definitely want to let people know how they can get in touch with you and how they can work with you to solve their own marketing plan problems, but it's so important to talk about the metrics and optimizing to scale. So what are your biggest tips for helping figure out and fill out number eight, which is, and we have to have the following metrics to optimize and scale, because I think this is the piece that people don't know how to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, most, you hear it, I hear it every day. Most people say my marketing budget is 15% of revenues. It's just some random number. What I've learned over the last 30 years is again, it, and, and remember the puzzle. So if we go back to our number, step number four, the ideal customer, how we want to allocate our marketing dollars is by saying, what is that company or that customer worth to our business in terms of profit? So in my, in my supplement business, we knew that over the course of a year of a customer ordering our product, we would make about $320. Well, we knew then that we could spend up to $320 to get a new customer, but it would take us a year to recoup that money. So we had to be able to finance that year as well as we could then come back and say, all right, if we're running Facebook ads, how much does it cost to get a new customer? And so you're, the, the answer to that is your lifetime value of a customer, and lifetime's a bit of a misnomer. It's, it's how long a customer is with you, what do you make with that customer, and how long do you make it? That's what determines your marketing budget and your KPIs. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. You're listening to KHS 1220 98.1 FM. We're going to put the link in to how to reach Russell. Thank you very much. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. I hope it was helpful. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian radio show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.